You're listening to The Community Pulse, a podcast about developer relations, community management, and all things tech advocacy. Let's see what our hosts are chatting about this episode. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of The Community Pulse. I am one of your co-hosts, Jason Han, and I'm joined by several other people here, including PJ, Mary, and our special new host, Wesley Faulkner, uh, on this uh, 50th episode of the Community Pulse. We've got a lot of special things going on today, so really excited about uh, today's episode. We've got a couple of guests, too, that I'd like to introduce, so uh, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, and we'll start with uh, Donovan. Why don't you say hello to everybody? Hi, my name is Donovan Brown. I lead uh, three of the DevRel teams here at Microsoft, so if you're interested in the cloud, and my team is going to help you use it to the best of its abilities. Hi, I'm Patrick. I'm working on the Chainlink project. We're an open source uh, blockchain oracle for getting decentralized data into the blockchain, and I'm really excited to be here. Great. Well, we're excited to have both of you, and the reason why we've invited you two specifically is we wanted to talk a little bit about uh, different ways that we're measuring in DevRel, and specifically around the idea of OKRs or uh, I know there's other terms out there that are very similar, we'll say adjacent, such as KPIs. Um, but, uh, but for the sake of language throughout the rest of today, I think maybe we just refer to OKRs. And um, what, you know, to be completely transparent, one of the reasons why I reached out to Donovan to join us in this discussion is because Donovan's a member of the team that I'm on at Microsoft. And he was uh, you know, very involved with uh, a, a recent effort to discover what are the, the right objectives and, and uh, KPIs, or I'm sorry, uh, key results that we're gonna be establishing for our team in DevRel. And um, so, yeah, maybe we'll just kind of start there with our first question to Donovan is when, when you hear the word OKR, if somebody's never you know, heard of that before, they're not familiar with it, what do you tell them? What, what is an OKR? First thing, I, I, I expand the acronym so that people understand that it stands for objective and key results. And an objective, it's a goal. It's, it's a destination where you want your team or your organization, or your company to go. And the key results are ways for you to say, did we or did we not achieve that particular goal? So they're, they're, they're numerical, you're able to measure them. And you generally you're able to measure progress on them too, because you grade your objectives and key results at the end of the period. And, and I won't say a quarter, some people do a quarter, some people do less. So you determine your time frame, but an objective is where you want to go. Key results are ways to measure, did I or did I not achieve that objective? Yeah, I love that. And um, I think, you know, we've spent, like I said at the beginning, this is our 50th episode. And we've spent a lot of the time in, uh, you know, over the years now, I think it's been coming up on five years in total, right? That we've been doing this now. Yeah, I think so. Uh, um, and um, we've oftentimes, I think, danced around metrics. We know it's important. I, I think um, you can call it a dance, Jason, but I think you can just straight up say we have avoided this conversation <laughs> for 49 consecutive episodes. Something, something to that effect. It, Which is I actually, mean, the, the funny thing is that's actually why Patrick got in touch initially is he was going through OKRs and he was like, I listened to Community Pulse and I'm wondering, what are your thoughts on this? And I got that email and I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I actually, I, I was looking, I was looking through every single podcast. I was like, okay, no, it's nothing. To, no, not OKRs, not OKRs. And uh, I, I got the inspiration from, you know, because this is how, uh, we're doing goal setting for pretty much you know every job that I have. I think the OKR methodology is fantastic. And then going through Mary's book, she gives a couple of examples as well. Um, and I was like, okay, cool, this is great. But like, is there is there are there any specific examples? Is there like a like a benchmark where it's like, hey, every developer advocate needs it? And now I'm understanding why because it's been like uh, uh, like a like a weird subject to talk about. Well, and I think even even in our prep for this call, I think all of us were like, okay, but we're not talking about specific metrics to track because we're not making declarations about like every DevRel team should be focused on X. So if that's what you're here for, this episode is not for you. <laughs> don't worry, that's, that's, don't worry, yeah, that, that's not what I'm here for. And another thing too, I want to add um, so that we, we make sure we, we sort of stay on topic here through this because uh, who knows when we'll come back around to talk about OKRs again is Probably about I, 50 episodes. <laughs> 100th, great. So I have this, I have this idea that, uh, and Donovan, maybe you can, you can uh, support this or deny this. I have this idea that OKRs take a little while to develop, and it takes a lot of collaboration amongst you know everybody across across the org, up and down, so that you're in alignment. And with you know the way the world is right now, it's not the way the world was perhaps back when you first set out 
to, to establish your OKRs. And so I wonder, I wonder what may have come up um, in the last, let's say, six months um, that has forced us to rethink or adjust or do anything really when it comes to setting these objectives. So we don't have to jump right into that just yet, but I am curious to, to know if there's been any rethinking or at least uh, adjusting along the way due to specifically the fact that we're not traveling and going to first party events as much. No, I think we could talk about that one really quick because I think when you've done objectives and key results correctly, they shouldn't be impacted by something like COVID drastically because COVID changed our tactics, but not our goal. Our goal is the same. Our goal is to empower every person and every organization on the planet to achieve more. That has not changed. Now, the fact that I cannot come to you physically and speak in front of you in an auditorium does not change my mission, does not change my vision. It does change the tactics of which I'm going to achieve those. And the tactics, I'm a big believer, you should not be measuring in your OKRs, right? The key result should not measure the tactic. It should measure the outcome. So our outcomes, again, have not changed, but the way that we achieve them has changed drastically. So if I'm looking at a strategy document, that might have changed a lot because our strategy to achieve our goals has changed, but our goals are still stayed the same. So if, if I can jump in and ask a question here. So basically you're saying the objective stays the same, but if you have a, a key result that's measured by, you know, how many events you attend, then you're saying that that's bad? And what, what I'm saying is, is that attending an event is a tactic because what is it, what are you hoping? Like, so if I attend, let's say the, the KR is attend 50 events around the world. Like, okay, great. So I do that. But what's better because I did that? Like what number that affects our organization is now better because I did that. And when I say visit 50 events, I have now told all my people, get on planes, fly all over the world and do 50 events. When if I actually look at the outcome that I want, which is awareness or it's skilling, and I don't say fly all over the world, they're going to become, my team's going to become very creative in other ways that I can skill people, other ways that I can make people aware. They're going to go to Twitch. They're going to go to Mixer. They're going to go on Twitter. They're going to go do stuff that I would have never dreamed of doing. So what I maybe, don't maybe like not Mixer. Say, oh, not, not anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. But what the thing is there is that it's I don't like to measure tactics or initiatives because I think it stifles the creativity of my organization. What I want to measure is the outcome and let them be creative on figuring out how to do that. Uh, so, so in in a way, like I, I've always said in a lot of the talks that I do, and a lot of the blog posts that I've written, it's kind of the difference between data and information. Like data is out there, and it gets you to the information. And OKR is a piece of information, and the metrics are kind of the data. Like yeah, like your tactics, like what you're saying, Donovan. That your tactics are what's going to get you to the OKR, but those can change. The data can change. The information that you get out of it, that's what you want. That's what I'm always striving to get to. And I, and I challenge all of, I challenge our leadership, right? So our corporate vice president, she has an OKR that I, that I really don't like. And I was like, hey, this really screams tactic to me. Like, why are we so laser focused on this one way of doing this? And then she shared with me why. So if you're going to have one of those, as long as you acknowledge that I know this is a tactic that we're measuring, I feel better than you think you're doing the right thing and you don't realize it's a tactic that you're measuring, right? So we even have one, Jason, at our level, right? It says, go create 60 pieces of content that cross multiple clouds at Microsoft. I'm like, it's like, that's, that's a tactic. Like, what, are we, what do we care about? Like, why are we doing this? Like, we do this, Patrick, what number's better? Because I did this. And he honestly just admitted to me, Donovan, right now, we honestly don't know. Right. This is an experiment that we're running right now. And we're going to look at what happens around this experiment. And then we'll be able to measure the, the outcome more accurately next sprint or next um, quarter or whatever period. But right now, we honestly don't know. And I was like, okay, I feel better that you're acknowledging that you understand that this is a tactic that we're measuring and not uh, a, a true key result, in my opinion. If, it, if it's okay that I follow up there. So um, like, let's say my key result is, is like event recognition. And then uh, like I said, you no. Know, Mary's book has kind of been my Bible for the past year because uh, it's it's one of my my main references into the developer. Because I've been doing this for about a year now, uh, and in one of them, there's uh, she she spoke about okay, doing a doing a um, like a, an event recognition KR. Like here's the number of developers who who came to your booth or or understood your or raised their hand or engaged or asked a question. Um, I would imagine that in in today's day and age, like those would have to drastically shift. So to me, I, I'm having a hard time finding the delimiter between the tactic and and the how the key result is not, you know, very tightly related to the tactic. I think in some ways that that depends on what kind of where your DevRel team sits. Um, when I've sat on DevRel teams that are directly under marketing, 
that's very much like, okay, so you went to an event, how many people signed up? How many, how many emails did you collect? How many people did you talk to? Those are relatively important metrics to people in marketing. Um, but also having done this for, you know, over 10 years, I realized that collecting a bunch of emails is, pardon my, my terminology, one of the most bullshit metrics in marketing or DevRel. All you've done is collect emails that are going to be, you know, at example.com that are going to be a Gmail address that is going to be pushed directly to the recycle bin is, you know, is, is, is going to be something that no one's going to look at because they wanted to get your free flying toaster drone or whatever, you know, it, it's not of value. So I think the thing is with OKRs, especially they have to have some sort of value. Your goal needs to have a value. Um, you can't just say like, let's go speak at 50 conferences. Like, yeah, so you can do that. You can 100% do that. Um, probably somewhere around 25 to 30, your talks are going to get really crappy and redundant and people aren't going to want to see you. And somewhere around between 40 and 50, people are going to be like, yo, I don't know if we really want this person to speak at our conference anymore because uh, they're boring and they're burnt out and it's not worth it. So, I mean, you've created a tactic or an OKR that's ridiculous and harmful. Um, and some people don't have the strength to, to point that out. I had a point there can't remember what it was. I liked it. I liked it though. Yeah, you touched on a couple of things there. You used the term metric and metrics are key when you're talking about key results. They're key when you're talking about KPIs, but everything that you measure doesn't have to be a key result, but you should measure everything because you need to realize that this tactic that we're doing is not effective because we measured it. It wasn't a key result, but you should measure, try something and measure again. Did it improve or decrease whatever it is that the metric that we're measuring, right? So just because you're measuring it does not mean it needs to be a key result. And I, man, I have fought this battle inside of Microsoft. I was like, come on, oh, it should be a key result. Like, no, it shouldn't, but you should measure that. Like, I'm not saying don't measure that. Well, but you bring an important point too, to the fact that, I mean, I worked in an organization where they're like, all right, you really think that like DevRel is a waste of money. People were, were complaining. You're traveling all over the place. And, and I mean, this is like five, six years ago, like our budget was like $15,000. Um, but they were still like, it seems like a big waste of money. Like, what are we getting back on this? And, you know, so what, what do you think they're spending? Why do they get this leeway? Why do they get this time? We're like, okay, well, let's measure how many days on a weekend they're either at a conference or on a plane. And like, we looked at it for a period of three months. And they're like, PJ has not been home for one weekend day in two months. Have you given him days off to compensate for that? Let's just look at how much you're not paying him for extra time. You just saved more than 15 grand. And it was like, oh, okay, so you have a point. So, so to agree with it, yeah, measure everything because a lot of times that's going to inform what, what maybe are important in your KPIs and your OKRs because your results might definitely be affected because you weren't measuring this and you realize that, yes, if someone's taking 25 bus rides a day, that's probably unhealthy. I just want to hop in here and to, to go back to what Patrick brought up, which I think is really important. He's like, how do you differentiate a tactic to a higher ordered, like, uh, objective. And I think if you want to have an exercise to try to figure that out is to ask why. So we want to go to this conference. Why? Uh, because our developer audience is there. Why? Uh, because it's an industry leading event and uh, we can get a lot of uh, exposure there. And then you could just keep asking yourself why until you reach to a higher order of like, we wanna make more sales or we wanna more, get more exposure or we wanna see be seen in this peer group so that it could raise our statue or increase uh, or, or we need feedback. And so we wanna make sure that we in we're in touch with our user base so that we can hear what they like and don't like about a product and get and figure out what the other peer levels are doing so we can make sure we're on par with so asking the level like why can help raise your awareness of why you're actually doing a tactic and that can get you up to strategy and then how they're higher up and to to make sure that you're fulfilling your goals yeah it's i asked the question so success is measured by what you going to the event great and we're going to measure success by what is it more people to our website so is it mau is it more people running the sample that we have? Is it more forks of our GitHub repo? What is the benefit of you going to it like that I can measure? Not just I wanna go and I think it's important, but okay, great, I, I support that. How will I know it was successful? I do this a lot, we get, um, I know Jason gets this a lot too. We'll have field people and sellers come to us because we're, we're popular and they recognize us on Twitter and they want us to come talk to the customers. I'm like, great, so what am I gonna go tell my manager 
on why I spent an hour with your customer. What number is going to be higher because I came and spoke to that particular customer? Is it ACR? Is it accrued revenue? Is it what is it? And if you can't tell me what's bigger, then I'm not coming to talk to your customer because there's no value there for us. So again, just to your point, keep asking why, like what's going to, what number is going to change in a positive way because I do X. X is the tactic, but the number that moves, that's the key result that I need to go measure. That's how I, that's how I keep pushing up back on people. And we get better at it. Trust me, if you're new to this, it's going to hurt and you're going to be really, really bad at it. So as an old agile coach, when my team took it on, we took it on it back in January really full bore. And normally you do quarter long OKRs. I told my team, no, we're doing month long OKRs. Like why? It's like, cause we're not going to know what we're doing and we're going to screw up a lot. And I rather screw up a lot very quickly than make a bet for three months that we have no idea what we're doing. We're going to do something really bad and we're going to live with that mistake for three months. Like, no, you're going to do them every month and we're going to refresh them every month. And you're going to send me an email every Tuesday showing me the progress on them all month long. The third month, our OKRs are drastically different than they were in January. They were no longer measuring tactics. The team had realized that they were changing the behavior of their team. Because when you realize that OKRs are a, a, a tool that you can use to change the behavior of your organization, you start to craft them differently. But when you first start, y'all, these are just KPIs plus plus. Like this is just the next version. I'll set some random number variables and we're gonna to try towards them. And they also didn't understand that a one, which means you, you achieve the goal 100% is a bad thing. My team was creating these OKRs that were so easy to achieve that they were getting ones across the board. I'm like, these aren't aspirational at all. Like if I remember once, uh, Abel's gonna hate that I call him out on this, but Abel was setting OKRs for his team. His OKRs were so easy for his entire team that he himself could achieve all of them with no help from anyone else in his organization. I'm like, dude, like these are not aspirational at all. Like you, these have to be something that your entire team has to sit down and say, wow, to do that, we have to think differently. We have to change the way that we do things. Like give me numbers that are so big that I think I might just be able to reach them. But if I don't, I still feel like I succeeded, right? Shoot for the stars and if you land on the moon, it's still a success, that kind of thing, right? And it took us months of going through this muscle memory of, of this these rituals to start to get the behavior. And I think that's why Patrick, our manager pulled me in and said, hey man, your team, I'm seeing these emails are sending out and hey, can you help us do this on our level? I'm like, sure, uh, let's, let's go back in and do that. So. You're absolutely right. It's about keep asking the questions and getting to the actual essence of why we're doing that, not just what we're doing. So I was just going to say, so just to kind of summarize what, you know, Donovan and Wesley have said for, you know, myself and everybody else, it sounds like the difference between your KR and your tactic is going to be, okay, why, what benefit, why, or what benefit does this have for our aspirational objective? And uh, I think a kind of case in point of this example would be a tactic would be to go to 25 events would be to go, but that's not going to like, if you go to 25 events and I say, okay, well, why does that, you know, increase our awareness that doesn't answer the question at all. That, that would be okay. I, that makes, that makes a lot of sense to me. That's really good. Whereas the KR would be more along the lines of, um, you know, 50% of the people at the events we attend, that's going to be a metric of the, okay, I gotcha. Cool. That's a, that's a great distinction. Yeah, Mary, you had something you were about to add. Yeah, I was just going to circle back to the point about, you know, it gets easier over time. Like, I think pushing back against management, perhaps, who's saying, hey, attend this many meetups every month or attend this many conferences and that's your thing to do this quarter. Like, the more that you push back, the more that you ask that why. I once told a client, uh, mimic your three-year-old like ask why for everything until you get an answer that actually makes business sense. And the thing is like, that's a difficult conversation to have those first few times with management. But then once they start to understand that you're pushing them to actually define business value for your team, rather than just accepting the like, sure, we'll attend six meetups every week, no problem. They start to respect you more and start to rely on you as the expert on the community for like, here's why we're actually attending events or live streaming code or doing these things in these forums, in these communities around the internet, right? They start to understand that the way you're looking at it isn't just, I need to check this box, but it's actually, I wanna contribute value both to the community as well as back to the company, which is huge. Yeah, and I feel that when, you, when you're very prescriptive, you create, like you said, a checkbox. And we're all good at checking boxes, but it, it doesn't really flex my creative muscle I can get on planes and go to 50 events. Like, okay, 
I checked the box, but why did I do that? If I if I can't justify to myself why I do it, because trust me, flying all over the world, it's it's glamorous on Twitter. When you have to do it for a living, it freaking sucks, right? And and you can't tell me why. I've just spent, I think my worst year was 295 days I spent away from home, right? And like, and then at the end of the year, I'm like, why did I do that? Like, I don't understand what was the point of me doing that. And now that we're forced to be at home and I'm producing videos and they get far more attention than any time I've ever stepped on stage. I'm like, why in the world was I flying all over the world when I should have just been here at my house producing video, which is Airline far miles. Like, uh, airline miles <laughs> status, which oh, is all because you, 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 yeah, you add up your airline miles to get the status, to take the free trip so that when you're not working, you get to go to the place that you wanted to check out when you were working. Yeah. The That's last thing I want to do is get on a plane after I've been on a plane for 295 <laughs> days out of the year. What's you know what's another seventy days worth of plans? Well, and at the very least, it gives us an opportunity to really evaluate those events more closely, right? Like you have a different lens now to see is this event actually one that I'm going to be able to make those stronger connections that are sometimes only possible in person, and really focus on those few relationships I'm going to build versus you know a 60, 70, 150 thousand person event where like. I'm going to see my five people that I already know, and that's it. I'm curious if those who've been working with OKRs for a while, if you've been in the scenario where you're in a meeting, they're talking about this thing, and they're like, we got to write OKRs around this, right? And I'm like, no, the hell we do. No, we don't do that. What we do is we write our objectives and key results. And if this thing doesn't drive any of those numbers, we stop doing this thing. We don't write KRs to justify this thing over here that we just want to do. It better drive towards the things that we've already identified before that existed that are important to us. And if they don't, then we stop doing that thing. And you would just see people like, no, no, but this people told us this was important. But then back to the three-year-old, why? Why do they think this is important? And if they can't tell us this, then this thing probably is a waste of our time. I think what you're trying to describe is something where it's a up, down, or, or, or a, a, a bottom up approach where you have the tactic first and you're trying to drive it to make it make sense rather than coming from understanding what you're really trying to accomplish and then figuring out how to run that goal. And, but a lot of people understand or intuitively know the tactic saying, this is what I should be doing. And then they ask the why and they kind of justify it up. Um, one thing that I would point out that I've done this process before is that when you do that level up, like you ask why, what you're doing when you're coming from an intuitive sense and the tactics and you're working way up to the strategy, what you're doing is you're, you're drawing on some assumptions. And so it's really important to really realize that, well, I want to go to this event because our target audience are there. What is informing that thought that your target audience is there and try to figure just realize that that's an assumption, try to like validate that assumption either before you do the event or um, if you're unable to validate, at least make sure that you're tracking it. So not all metrics need to go into an OKR, but also you need to track to see if your assumptions are actually reality. So you're not doing the same thing over and over again. You think that you're, that you're doing a different tactic to try to get to the same objective, but you're working off the wrong assumptions that you never validate. So, um, if you're working from a bottom up and you're trying to justify things, make sure that you also are tracking the things that uh, you think you know, uh, because that that is an assumption and that really needs to be monitored. 100%. 100%. So Don- Donovan, when you were saying that um, that Patrick was asking for help on getting this same kind of mindset going with OKRs, um, seems like that's you know pretty close to just like a new company who who's decided that devrel might be something that's important to us and we'd like to get going so i'm curious what that conversation was like as like first tips pointers to somebody who's just sitting down to figure out what their okr should be and what those should look like actually i think it happened a little differently uh, for us what happened was i think you might even have been there we were at like an all hands or, or a summit or something and then there was a slide out of nowhere that said these are our okrs no one had any forewarning that we were doing these things we had no idea what they were. We had no idea where they came from. And I, luckily for me, about a month earlier, had done an interview with someone from the Azure DevOps team who mentioned OKRs. So I just started researching like crazy, like, what is this thing? So when I saw them, like, hold on, like, so where are Charlotte's, who's our corporate vice president? Where are Scott Guthrie's? Because these are supposed to align to the top. Like, how did we just start out in the middle with these OKRs? Like, what do they accrue to? And I started getting very suspicious of these OKRs. I'm like, hold on, like, this doesn't make sense to me. So then I go, luckily I have a relationship with Scott and Charlotte. So I'm like, hey, so what's up with these OKRs? They're like, 
yeah, we don't know it because we haven't done ours yet. I'm like, then how the hell do we have ours already? Like, this doesn't feel right. So again, I kept doing all this research saying, am I crazy or am I not doing this right? So then when I went and challenged Patrick, I'm like, Patrick, I have no idea like why these things exist, where they came from, and why it's a 16-page document to describe what should be a handful of OKRs. It just, it scared me. So I told my team, ignore all of this. We're not doing any of this. And then Charlotte finally released hers. And I said, skip over everything between us and Charlotte's because these people clearly have no idea what they're doing. And if we essentially align to Charlotte's, then if everyone does their job, we should naturally just align because they should also be aligning to Charlotte's, right? And we're all going to be driving towards what she finds important. So it was more of a, just me being very skeptical and suspicious of what was being presented to me from what little research I had done, which then prompted me to do a lot more research and find out that no, okay, I, I think I'm right based on everyone who's done this before me, uh, that we're not doing this right. I, yeah, you you did just like remind me of that a little bit. I, and I don't remember, I, I know back when, you know, Chad Fowler was the head of our team for, for a while. And, um, and we, I feel now that was about the same time I was starting. So I don't know if this was just new then or just new because I was new. Um, but we all, I think, were introduced to the book uh, Measure What Matters. And the OKR language really became kind of solidified into our vernacular at that point. But I, yeah, that's a good point. And, and something I think that is, is part of that, that book is, is, you know, whatever OKRs, they do need to vertically align with, you know, what your managers are doing and what they're trying to accomplish and what their managers are doing. And if it doesn't, then it's not, it's, it's just not part of the game plan at all. It shouldn't be. Yeah. And going back to the original question around like, how does a new company set OKRs? How does a DevRel team set OKRs, right? The biggest thing is, make sure it aligns to where you're at with the rest of the company, right? Like make sure that that's in line with the company goals, make sure it's in line with your departmental goals. And the biggest reason for that, and we've harped on this a lot of times in a lot of episodes, but the biggest reason for that is because that's the easiest way to protect your team from being dissolved. Because if someone comes to your team and says, prove to me what you've done to benefit the company, you can go, well, all of these things in the last quarter, six months, year, whatever it is, all contributed back to these greater company goals. Here's the direct impact that we had. Here's the direct numbers that we have to prove that we're solid, right? And there might still be budget cuts and everything else, but that's, that's the foundational way to really be able to protect your team. And it could involve like tactics that, that are like, you know, Donovan, you got to go to, you know, hundred events this year and spend 200 days in the airport. Like, maybe that's the right thing for the goals of the company at that time. Like if I think back to Victor Ops, a big part of my effort was just awareness, which meant being in front of people. And, um, and so I spent a lot of time finding ways to just be in front of people and be in conversations. And it was less about content. And then once we felt a little bit more in, you know, like in a good place about awareness, people in the industry are, you know, kind of know who we are now, then we switched gears into something else a little bit different. So it can kind of change you know, just depending on lots of different things and the size of the company. Yeah, I think what Mary said is so crucially important because we always talk about, oh, what we do is so special. We're unicorns. It's hard to measure the impact. Like, it better not be hard to measure because when the budget cuts come, that's who they're coming after. The people that they can't justify why you're here. We better find stuff that's really easy to measure and it better align to what's important to our manager and our manager and above us. Like, so stop this. We're special nonsense and you better find something to measure. And that's like my very critic. I love working at Microsoft. Don't want to stop working at Microsoft. And I'm in this weird thing called DevRel that people say are hard to measure. So I'm working really hard to figure out how it's easy to measure the impact that we're having to this organization. I believe that we are. So that just as Mary pointed out, when, when it comes time to make those cuts, we're the last place you look. These conversations are having uh, are happening in all kinds of companies. And I'm curious about Patrick, what kind of comp- what kind, where did you start with your conversation about OKRs? What put you on this journey? Yeah, so uh, so I actually read the book Measuring What Matters before uh, before the, the company that I was working at even like brought up OKRs, and so when they did, I was like, oh sweet, this is this is really exciting. And this was before I was on the Chingling project. I was working for a, an asset manager at the time, and they were like, okay, we're going to do OKRs, and I got I got really excited, and you know we we started doing them, and, and similar to to Donovan's experience, it seemed like nobody like somebody up top was like, Hey, do OKRs. And then everyone was like, okay, we're going to do these OKRs. Like nobody had any idea uh, what to do about them. And so that's when I started, you know, looking into it even more. Uh, that was also before I was in doing DevRel. Now that I'm in DevRel working on the channeling project, uh, I, I showed up and they were already like, yep, we love OKRs. We love radical candor. And I'm like, Oh my God, these are all these, you know, methodologies that I, I love and care about so much. And when we started 
defining developer relations ones, that's when it started being like, okay, well, how do we actually measure the impact? And that's, uh, and that's kind of exactly what we were talking about right now. Uh, we ended up coming with a lot of what I think are, are really solid, uh, really solid objective key results. And then even um, after kind of everyone's feedback so far, I'm, I'm kind of more affirmed that, okay, we, we did make some really good ones, but um, something that I, I, th I think is interesting and it goes back to, you know, saying like, okay, like what number can I see go up by doing this event? Uh, and again, I'm, I'm going to bring it back to, to Mary's book because I've read it a million times. Um, there's a point she brings up with talking about quantitative versus qualitative. And I think that that's really interesting um, because it, it's when you're defining your success and your success metrics with your, with your K results, if you have a, a qualitative KR, that's hard to say this number went up. Uh, and so I was, I wanted to ask a little bit more about setting those qualitative KRs uh, and, and kind of to tie in with that, I, I've jumped into the community pulse Slack now, I've had a couple of conversations with a couple of people in there. Uh, a number of them have actually built tools around putting, you know, quantitative measurements on these qualitative measurements. And I thought that that was awesome because then that's a way for me to say, Hey, our stickiness improved by 15%. Right, which I think you know, stickiness is probably my favorite. Like response to why is DevRel important? It's like okay, stickiness. That's why. Um, but yeah, I wanted to know, like, to talk a little more more about maybe the qualitative KRs, or you know, are these tools that are coming out to quantitative-ify the qualitative? Are they good, uh, or just kind of any thoughts around the tools there? I love that quantitative to five. The I'm I'm completely screwing it up, but I love that phrase. Um, <laughs> I think my my biggest way is, and I mentioned this in the book, but the Libby boxes, um, which is just kind of this uh, framework that lets you move from like, here's the overarching goals to here's the, you know, general buckets that we can kind of start thinking through what are some of the ideas of ways that we can achieve the goals all the way down to what are those specific tactics. And not all of that winds up in your OKRs, right? But being able to walk through that process of like, okay, what's the overarching thing? What are some of the high level goals and buckets that things fall into? What are some of the more specific ways we can do this? And then what are the actual numbers that we're tracking to make sure that we are successful? And one of the things that I love the most about this, and this came up earlier in our conversation, is there are going to be times when your manager comes down and says, you must attend X number of conferences. You must speak at X number of conferences. You must do live streaming every Tuesday of the month, right? Like there's going to be times when they come down and say that and you go, wait, but why? And they go, because I said so. Or whatever version of that works for your non-parental manager relationship. But there's going to be that answer sometimes. And so then you can plug that success metric, that tactic into the Libby boxes and work backward and go, okay, cool. What's the more generic way? Well, live streaming, you know, is a category of doing online content, which falls into this goal, which fulfills this company metric that we're all working toward this year. Right. And so being able to really work yourself through that process, no matter which of those four boxes your your original metric falls into to begin with is has long been my favorite way of kind of working through that process one of the questions that jason asked earlier was donovan if you're like someone starting off new what what would you recommend uh, i read measure what matters too but then i also read a book called objectives and key results uh which i i personally think is it's a much better book i thought object i thought measure what matters was like prove that they would work but it didn't really tell you prescriptively how to do it. And that was very frustrating to me until I got to the appendix. The Google Playbook was really like, oh, finally, like this is the part of the book I wanted. I wish I would have read this first and I would have thrown away the rest. But then I went and read objective and key results. And they were like, this is where you start. Start first with your vision. Like you're, if you don't have a vision for your company or your initiative or your project, like you're putting the cart before the horse. Once you have a vision, define your mission as a company. And your mission is usually what we have to do now to achieve that vision that we have for 10 or 15 years from now. And then from there, your strategy falls out and then your OKRs are driving towards that strategy. So for me, it was like this beautiful pyramid. And I noticed that you might remember this too, Jason, when you joined the team, we had no vision or mission for DevRel, right? We just got one of those recently. And again, that came out of me forcing my team to sit down and say, why does our team, like the 20 people that we are, why do we exist? Like, what is our goal? Like, and I said for us, because we're DevRel, I was like, 
our goal is that our customers can achieve with our online resources alone. They don't have to reach out to us. They don't have to go like they can go online with a goal that they want to achieve and they everything they need is right there in front of them. That is our vision to make that true. So if we want someone to be able to go to docs.com or wherever they're going and say, I want to be able to do X and everything is there, our mission is to produce that content, right? Such that people can succeed five or 10 years from now without having to ping me on Twitter or jump into my DMs and ask me questions. Like, no. That's, we're getting close, but we're not there yet if I'm still having to field questions like I'm IT, right? Like that's not the goal. So we set out a vision. Our customers can, can, see, can succeed on our online content alone. Our mission, go produce the content necessary. And sometimes that means flying and meeting them at a conference and hearing what their pain points are so that I know what to come back and write in the docs to make the docs better. And then we came up with a strategy and that's where all the tactics are. Go to conferences, do Twitch streams, uh, do podcasts, like be in the community, get on Twitter, build a brand for yourself. Like what are the tactics we're going to do? And the objectives that we wrote accrued to what our Charlotte, our corporate vice president said, I want awareness of our products. Well, great. That kind of drives what we're trying to do. We're trying to drive people to our online docs. We're trying to make sure the docs are really good. This is awesome. Like we can, we can drive towards Mao. And there was, I want to skill people. Great. We're going to go create learn modules or whatever it is that we needed to as an organization, because that's online content. So it was really cool when we had our vision. And one of the things that I would recommend everyone to do if you have a vision and mission is it's in my signature of my emails. Right? So that everyone that gets an email from me, including my people and people who work with my team, know why my team exists. It reminds them and it tells them ways that they can engage with me. Like, oh, wow, that's what Donovan seems trying to do. I wanted to do something online and then boom, they come to you, right? So you can never repeat your vision and mission too often. So it's in my signature. And I'd be surprised how many people reply back to me just to talk to me about my mission and vision, not, not the content of the email, but Donovan, I didn't know your team did that. So that's the place I would tell them to start, Jason, is get that vision, get that mission. And then from there, these other things that you're gonna be doing, KPIs you're gonna track, metrics you're gonna measure, OKRs you're gonna drive, better be driving towards that. I think a lot of our early metrics were, were just too much like vanity metrics and things that we can, things that we, honestly, if we, if we sat down, we can automate, you know, if you just need people to go click on a link, we can make that work. Um, so yeah, you just gotta be real careful what you ask for. Patrick, you were gonna say something? Yeah, I was just gonna say, can I ask uh, what that vision and mission, vision and mission is, if you have it per chance. Exactly. No, so the vision for my team is customers can achieve success relying on online resources and content alone. That's our vision. So I want a customer to be able to go there and just succeed. And then our mission is produce and share content and solutions needed to succeed with Azure. Because we are DevRel for specifically for Azure. So that's the reason I dropped Azure in there. Sure. No, my pleasure. And also, I, I see, I'll share, I'll put in the, I, I found this really cool document on helping you write your own vision and mission. Like this literally like, it's almost like a Mad Libs almost. It's kind of cool, right? You like, they ask you these questions and then out pops this really nice, succinct sentence that derives, why do you exist? And then how are you, what do you want your customers to do going forward? So I'll make sure I put that in the show notes of, of where to get to that worksheet. It was really helpful for me. Awesome. And that kind of actually brings us to our next section of the show, my personal favorite. It's always been dear and near to my heart uh, ever since, ever since episode one back in the old days. This is the episode 50. This is the checkouts. So um, I know that I've mentioned it before. So people just love the checkouts. Uh, this is our chance to talk about things that we've been talking about on this show, things related to DevRel, tools we found, cool software we checked out, and stuff like that. So um, both hosts and guests, we're going to start with Jason and, and go down the list and let us know what your checkouts are. And these are things that everyone can, can check out. Cool. Yeah. Um, first of all, thank you both Donovan and Patrick for being a part of the show. It's been awesome. Uh, maybe we can get you on again in the future because this is something that comes up quite a bit. Uh, but as far as my checkouts, I don't have a lot. Um, um, the, the main thing I, I wanted to share as far as a link that we'll put in the show notes is I think, you know, with, with the COVID stuff, everything that's going on right now, imp, uh, information that we can rely on, I think is super important. And, um, and Microsoft does a really great job every week of, or about every week of sharing updates and sharing what's going on. And they've got one link that's, uh, that they share in the emails that they've encouraged us to share out with the public. So I'll be putting that in there, just understanding the progress against the virus, what's going on there. Um, the other thing, or really more for probably future uh, weeks, because I'm not sure when the next episode will, will come out, but I'm working on a couple things on Learn TV for Azure Fundamentals and another show called All Around Azure, which is um, a lot of fun putting together. So that'll be coming out soon. I'll, I'll make an announcement on that. And uh, the only other thing I thought was kind of funny in the pre-show, we were talking me and Mary and PJ and uh, PJ was not familiar with, with the old wool, wool dryer balls um, that Mary and I 
uh, use in our laundry. Apparently, this is truly this is a fascinating subject. Yeah, instead of so instead context, of dryer sheets. Yes. So my my dryer was going during our pre-show conversation, and I went, "Hang on, I gotta go stop my dryer." And PJ made a comment about how loud it was. And surmised that I had, I don't know, hoodies or hoodies, something. Hoodies, because it sounded it sounded like zippers. Right. It sounded like zippers right. tumbling over each other. Um, and I said, no, they're they're dryer balls. And there was laughter. And then we started actually giving him reasons why these are effective tools. So and good for the planet. And good for the planet. That's the main thing. So those yes, are my indeed. three things. Uh, look into dryer balls. They're cheap and easy and replace dryer sheets. Dryer sheets. Uh Donovan, what do you have for checkouts? I would check out Objective and Key Results, the book I referenced earlier, because if you've only read Measure What Matters and you're confused, this book will fill in all the gaps for you. And I think I put that link already in the show notes, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of that book. I, I bought it and read it, and then I got it on, uh, on Audible and listened to it again uh, because it really helped with the whole vision, mission, the whole pyramid of not just diving into this one topic, but how this topic fits into your overall strategy as an organization. So big fan of the book. Awesome. Mary? Yeah, I've got a couple, neither of which are tech-related. Um, one is a book that I read recently, which is also now a TV series. Um, I'm always a fan of the book rather than the movie or the TV show, but this one especially, it's called Little Fires Everywhere. And it's just, it's a fascinating book that's full of twists and turns and relevant topics, but it's fiction and it's it's super engaging. Um, to clarify, the TV series wasn't bad. It was just really rough watching right after I read the book because they made a few significant changes to the characters that I just couldn't get behind. Um, the other thing that I discovered recently that I absolutely love is an Instagram profile called, or yeah, called Liz and Molly. And it's cartoon sketches, uh, I guess it's kind of tech related, but it's all around feelings about work. Um, we have actually talked about their book previously. We did a checkout about it. No hard feelings, um, is the book by Liz and Molly and the Instagram profile is just full of so many great, um, resources and cartoons that I often feel seen by. Um, there was one a few weeks ago that was kind of Tetris. And, you know, a normal day of work when you're feeling great, you know, new task, no problem. I'll figure out how to fit it, fit it in and you rotate and drop the Tetris piece right where it's supposed to go. And then work when you're anxious is just the single line of Tetris pieces up the middle of the board um, because you're feeling overwhelmed. So things like that, that just kind of make you feel like you're not the only one uh, when things are chaotic and it's not going as it should. So awesome. Uh, I checked that. I just briefly looked at that right now. And that's pretty, it's pretty hilarious. Um, Patrick, what do you got? Uh, yeah. So most of mine are, are tech related. And then I scrambled in the, at the end. I was like, Oh, let me put something not tech related here. So I <laughs> being. it's uh, fine. We, we accept both answers. <laughs> All right. Perfect. Uh, my first one is uh, this one called game jam. So the Colorado lottery is putting on a hackathon basically to, to, to have engineers build some newer tech, um uh like lottery games for example and it's it's really exciting because there's an additional uh like blockchain or web3 bounty on there uh if you build like a blockchain based lottery game which i think is, is crazy exciting um and again with the blockchain bit because that's the industry that i'm in uh def the decentralized finance is flying almost to four almost four billion dollars in locked assets which i think is a, a huge like crazy accomplishment which is you know, really exciting, especially for me, somebody's coming from fintech and traditional finance where, you know, the the, the amount locked in is this massive, ridiculous number that I, I it's probably in the trillions. Um, so 4 billion is like nothing in comparison, but it's a lot of money for blockchain. Uh, a book that I'm reading right now is the 2020th edition of the Pragmatic Programmer. Uh, I didn't read the first edition, but this one seems like everything's still super relevant. You know, just a lot of the core concepts for engineering pretty much haven't changed. The tools have changed, but the, the core concepts haven't changed. What I think is, I think is really, really cool. And then my, my last non-tech uh, checkout is uh, just, I'm a huge, you know, League of Legends nerd and uh, Team Liquid recently beat C9. And I was just super hyped about that. And if anybody is a, an esports nerd like myself, uh, definitely check that out because, uh, you know, Liquid crushed it. Big Liquid fan over here. There's definitely an overlap between video game fans, <laughs> online game fans, and DevRel, for sure. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
for sure. So people will enjoy that. That's awesome. Wesley, what do you got for me? I have this article that I saw on the register uh, about whiteboard interviews. Um, it was a, a paper was presented at this joint European software engineering conference and symposium uh, about um, what they found and uh, that whiteboard interviews are basically testing people under really bad circumstances. So there's a difference between playing Jeopardy at home and being able to answer questions instead of being in the studio on stage and everyone's like looking at you when you push that buzzer. Um, and so what you're not testing for is like knowledge. What you're testing is like, what do you, how do you deal under pressure? So it's an artificial environment. And I think this specific study, um, they had a group of women who uh, they did some whiteboard interviewing and none of them got the right answer. Uh, but in a different environment, in a calmed, like not performative way, they they were uh, able to answer 100% of the questions. And so it was a dramatic difference between being like focused on and uh, having them perform and that disproportionately under those circumstances, women generally did worse than men. Um, so not only is it a bad way of testing, but it's extremely discriminatory towards women. Um, and, and my own take is that I think generally speaking, um, women are put under a magnifying glass about how they act, how they, how they respond, their tone, mannerisms. And so there's a lot of things that women have to worry about. And I think this just kind of magnifies our, our social like focus on women and how we tear them down. And so having to do that in a very high pressure environment, it can be extremely um, hard. Um, so the, the name of that article is, you're testing them wrong. Um, this is um, from the register and it'll be in the show notes. The other thing that I wanted to bring up, um, and this was, uh, since everyone was adding some media, so like 11th hour ad, uh, I wanna recommend, uh, just another Hulu uh, great show is Devs. Um, and not just because of the content, it's an interesting story enough, but um, the Emmy nominations came out today and Devs is on for four categories. And I was just gonna read them really quickly. Outstanding sound mixing, outstanding sound editing, outstanding special visual effects and outstanding cinematography. This is a great looking and this is a great sounding show. Um, so the way that they tell stories, it, it's really enveloping, even if the, the, the story itself is at times hard to keep up and track, but it's just a, a delight to watch. And so I would recommend watching devs on Hulu. Awesome. And I will, I will take us out with my checkouts. Um, the first thing is uh, one of the things that I was doing and prepping, getting ready for the show, I didn't read any of the books that anyone mentioned. I read Mary's book, but I read that a while ago. Um, but, you know, books, who needs them? But I, I, did, I, I was looking around for things, and, and I did see a talk by Vera Tiago uh, about North Star metrics and the importance of that, which she did at DevRelCon Earth, which was the virtual DevRelCon that took place. Um, and there'll be a link to that in the show notes. But I think it's very interesting, uh, the take on how there's a lot of small companies that are up and coming that are trying to set North Star metrics that are similar to an IBM or a Microsoft, and that doesn't, that's not going to work. You don't have the machinations to, to set that kind of stuff. When you, when you're worried about your first 50 customers, you can't be worried about your next $50 billion, you know, that kind of thing. Um, other, other stuff. I know everybody knows if you've ever listened to the show that I might exact enjoy hip hop music from time to time. There's a great series called the evolution of hip hop on Netflix. And it just came out with another season, uh, which was astounding and great. I think it's season four starting to really get into like the, the minutia of different cities and how those cities places that you didn't expect actually contribute to the hip hop that we listen to today, you know, places like Detroit, which had a huge techno scene, which lent to, you know, getting out of that kind of gangster rap thing. I don't want to ruin the show for it. There's great information in the show, highly enjoyable from the mouths of the people who lived it. Absolutely amazing. And to kind of speak to what Patrick brought up about, you know, League of Legends and gaming. And if you like esports, a lot of people are feeling the missing, the, the missingness of sports in general. Uh, my family and I have gotten into watching Yellow's Marble League. And if you have not done this, um, it is amazing. Uh, they treat it like a sporting event. There is, there's one event, like we went back and watched last year's Marble League. We've bought t-shirts. 
uh, support this. It's absolutely stunningly amazing. The events are great. They are treated like sporting events. Uh, one episode, uh, one of the coaches got fired on the spot. And there's no people, mind you. There's no people. There's just marbles. But they do stop motion animations to remove streakers who run across the tracks. Like, it's so great. I can't even tell you. Like, it's like 10 minutes every three or four days. And it will make your day. It's just absolutely stunning. Uh, on that note, go Team Galactic. Because um, that's who I support. Uh, and... Mm -hmm. Which was fabulous, by the way. Team Galactic, as the host, did a wonderful job. Uh, it, was, it was amazing. It's not even the endorsement. It's not even an endorsement of the rest of the people in this house that I live in. Um, we all have different T-shirts and different teams. <laughs> I saw that on John Oliver, and I had to go check it out. And I was like, "What is this?" And my yes. wife sitting on my sitting here watching it with me, like, "Are we watching Marbles? Like, we can't be watching Marbles." This is we are. We are one hundred percent watching Marbles. Marbles can't get COVID. The Florida Marlins can, but Marbles can't. Um, but no, it, it, it's such an enjoyable experience. And yeah, I saw on John Oliver as well. He sponsored all of this year's events and every event they donate $5,000 to a food bank um, in the name of the team that won. Um, so, I mean, that might be confusing for the food banks who are getting giant checks with names of Marvel teams, but hey, they got free $5,000. Um, so with that, that's our checkouts for today. That's our episode. Donovan, Patrick, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. Uh, we definitely well, thank you so much for having us. Yeah, we definitely need to have both of you back sometime to kind of there were so many questions we didn't get to. Um, Wesley, welcome to the team. Hope you had a good first run. Yeah, Ooh. this is amazing. Uh, Glad to be part of this team. This is so much fun. I can't believe we're gonna be doing this. We should get t-shirts. I just feel like it's a thing we should <laughs> That's do. A topic marble versions time, of ourselves on marble versions of ourselves on the marble league. Perfect. Mary and Jason, a great time as always. For those of you listening. Thank you as always for listening. Please give us your feedback. Uh, you can check us out at communitypulse.io. Excuse me, community underscore pulse on Twitter. Um, you can reach out. Our DMs are open. That's actually how we met Patrick and how we started the conversation that led to this episode. So if you don't think you can have an impact, you definitely can. That's how DevRel works. Um, but please let us know, uh, rate us, give us feedback on your favorite podcast, download places, Apple podcasts, uh, SoundCloud, wherever you are listening to this, there's probably a place where you could tell us we're doing a good job or not. Um, but we, I, we're kind of doing a good job. We're 50 episodes in, um, as always, I like to close with like a little inspirational something, something. So this is from one of my favorite rappers of all times, guy who went by the name of Naz. And if you're scared to take chances, you'll never have the answers. Thank you very much. And we'll see you next episode. This has been Community Pulse. Learn more at communitypulse.io and on Twitter at community underscore pulse. Your hosts are Mary Thangball, Mary underscore Grace on Twitter, Jason Hand, Jason Hand on Twitter, PJ Haggerty, Asplenic on Twitter, SJ Morris, Sarah Jane Morris on Twitter, and Wesley Faulkner, Wesley83 on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.